HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by the International Culinary Center, offering courses that range from classic French techniques in culinary, pastry, and bread baking to Italian studies to management, from culinary technology to food writing, from cake making to wine tasting. For more information, visit culinarycenter.com. Hey, 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 I'm Jimmy Carboni from Beer Sessions Radio. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org. For thousands more. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm your host, Damon Bolte, and you know, it's been extremely cold here in New York City for the last I can't even count. Um, and I, as much as I try, I can't get out of town. I can't get away. But all I can think about right now is that first moment that I get to have a margarita. And maybe it's going to be this Saturday. Um, sometime this week. It's National Margarita Day, and I can't think of anyone better to have on the line than Jamie Sauce. Now, you're the brand ambassador. Well, first of all, welcome to the show. Thank you, Damon. Thank you for having me. Yeah, Pleasure. absolutely. Um, you're the brand ambassador for... Uh, Milagro tequila, which one, that's one of my favorite tequilas. And, uh, Thank you. I, and I, I, like, what, what am I missing right now? You know, like, I, like, I really, yeah, I, I love a good stirred boozy, uh, tequila cocktail, but I, 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 I guess I'm just missing sunshine, right? <laughs> You're missing the weather. That's exactly right. I think that's, that's what, what goes hand in hand with, uh, a margarita, regardless of the, the style of margarita, the, the flavor profile you'd, whether it's flavor of the original, I think that's that's what's at, that's what's at stake here is getting good weather in hand with the yeah. proper cocktail. It's like a little glass of sunshine. That's right. Yeah. So, um, let, tell me, tell me a little bit more about yourself and like how did how did you? I mean, like you you were the the master mixologist for Milagro Tequila and also the brand ambassador. So you've got your hands full. You're traveling around all the time, making drinks. Uh, do you, are you doing like menus support for for different bars and restaurants like? What's what's a, what's yeah. a day in the life? There's a little bit of everything. Yeah, I think in, in short, it's really just being a brand evangelist, right, and spreading the tequila gospel. Really, it's, I see that as my foremost uh, obligation and duty as as, as a Milagro ambassador. Uh, you know, so I, I always say, you know, the cocktail is really the catalyst for how to enjoy 
uh, tequila. Beautiful thing about the spirit is that you could equally enjoy it neat as well as in a cocktail. So everything from engaging bartenders to consumers um, through events, through master classes, are all pretty much uh, things that I employ daily. Cool. As, as my role, as part of my role. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. a fun job. Can't I, complain. There's, I love that there's so much information out there. And like you said, like these, uh, there's a lot more classes, a lot more trips um, to Mexico to uh, learn more yeah. about tequila and agave. And that's something that we didn't really have. Like, I feel like there's always been, in the United States, there's been some form of a whiskey class, um, you know, for the last few decades. But it's just now getting to where we're starting to see over the last decade, we're starting to see more like outreach and education regarding, you know, these different spirits, specifically tequila. I feel like outside of whiskey, tequila is the most, um, I guess the most evangelized, like you would say, uh, spirit out there. Wouldn't you agree? No, I absolutely would agree. And that's, that's a great observation. Actually, in the last decade, we definitely, I've been doing this officially for just over 12 years. In the last decade, we've definitely seen an uptick in people heading down south to actually, you know, witness firsthand the production process of tequila, which is just amazing. It's, it's a very unique spirit in its own right, and it's something that uh, obviously can be appreciated in the glass, but most importantly, um, can be lived by by just heading a couple hours south. And I think uh, I think people have sort of recognized that as a as a uh, the gateway to learning more about the culture as well as the production of tequila at first hand. You know, get on a plane, head two hours, three hours south, depending on where you are in the States. Um, and you're now afforded that opportunity. Uh, 15 years ago, distillers weren't necessarily opening their doors for people to come out and experience what, what the tequila production process truly is. And, uh, and now it's a whole new book. And I think people like the whiskey, uh, you know, like the, the whiskey trail here, a bourbon trail here in the States, uh, sort of had led the path for people to uh, in Mexico to really open up that sort of... Uh, that's sort a of style of education, which is phenomenal. Yeah, and you know you've got you've got like these unofficial brand ambassadors for for tequila as a, as a whole. You know, it, like uh, you know, like Phil Ward from IOL and and Ryan Fitzgerald from ABV in San Francisco. These guys are just extremely passionate about the spirit. And you know, to me, my experience with it was, I remember in the the late nineties when the uh, there was a huge drought in uh, in Mexico, and a lot of the agave was dying off, so the price of tequila was skyrocketing. Um, it was like ninety eight, like ninety eight, nineteen ninety eight, nineteen ninety nine, something like that. It was around. It was around. Yeah, it was just. It was. It started at the pinnacle. That was around two thousand when um, it was. It was a combination of things. It was an uptick in tequila consumption, uh, commingled with um, intersected with uh, with a very bad plague that we had in, in Mexico. And so that uh, created a very devastating shortage. And that's when you started seeing companies uh, raise the price as well as uh, produce no company, uh, you know, brands that we knew to be 100% uh, uh, agave were now producing that less than 100% uh, just to keep the brands available to their the consumer base here in the States. Yeah, it's that's kind of like where the mixed tequila started to come into play a lot more. And uh, I think, you know, another thing about that is it's kind of like you... you it's one of those uh, situations where uh, you kind of want what you can't have. You know, uh, it, yeah, right. it turned into one of those situations where um, it was either becoming uh, mixto tequila or or just being hoarded by uh, you know not not in a in a mean way. It was just like, all right, well we we have to have some tequila to sell, so we kind of need to 
raise the price and because because there was not enough supply and also to like keep that supply around for you know for the foreseeable future until this gets recouped right yeah, no, that's exactly what happened. That's exactly what you saw. I think, you know, I think what that what, what that taught us as, you know, as an industry is that one, you know, people were, ironically enough, you know, it's it's the consumption of 100% blue agave tequilas that sort of led to that, right, along with the plague. Um, but it, you know, it forced people to sort of start experiencing other brands and and uh, just going for more, perhaps more of those brands that uh, they hadn't thought of before because. Brands, you know, everything started becoming more or less equalized in that more and more brands started taking the price. Uh, and if you ask me, I feel like, you know, tequila is one of the most expensive spirits in the world to produce. Sure. Uh, you think about the fact that the agave plant uh, takes all of its energy and, 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 and it steeps in the earth from anywhere from, you know, 8 to 10 to 12 years. Um, perhaps, or, you know, we like to say that the aging happens in ground as opposed to above ground. But it's right up there with, you know, with uh, some of the most... Uh, uh, expensive, you know, um, spirits in the world in that it takes a long time to wait on a plant uh, before you can even introduce it to the production process, uh, whereas you pay for, you know, a cognac that's been aged for 20 years. Sometimes you wait on agave plants, especially if we're talking mezcal and other agave distillates, sometimes in the realm of 25 to 30 years. Sure. Um, so it's fair to say that, you know, I think, you know, I remember the, the price going up uh, due to that shortage, and, and, and the industry more or less was thinking, well, it's, it's kind of high time that we actually uh, pay premium for this spirit. After all, I think it's well deserving. It's well worth it. Um, yeah, it seems it's like right in line with yeah with some of the more um, luxurious uh, spirits out there in the world. And it definitely, I think, uh, I think it's it, you know has earned its right. Yeah, so, I mean, so would you say that that rather than the price of tequila going up and that being kind of like a shock to people's system, do you think it was just being undercharged? In the past? No, and that's exactly right. I guess that's that's exactly right. I think I, I don't think you know. I, I, I had this conversation with a, a colleague you mentioned, Phil Ward, and, and a few of the other advocates. These are people that are that are also friends of mine, and uh, you know, we, we get into these conversations and, and talks about tequila and the guy that dissolves in general. And you know, I, I told a friend actually not too long ago that that was exactly right. I feel like the upcharge or the you know the the uptick you saw or the decrease that you saw in, in the cost of a bottle really was warranted because in the past it was undercharged. It was being undervalued, uh, quite honestly, in my opinion. Yeah, and like, I don't know, like, that's a really hard job. The, the job of the Hemador is like, it's a tough, that's a tough gig, man. And it's it's one that's kind of like, it's been like a, you know, a dying breed. And it's, it's kind of, uh, it's kind of a shame that they weren't really making uh, the money that they should have, like for the work that they were doing in the past, you know? It's like, I, well, you I, know, it's, it's a labor of love. That's for sure. I'll, I'll put it that way. You no. know, it's 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 uh, it's strenuous. It's uh, it's laborious. It's physical. Um, it's the art form. Uh, you know, that's part of the art form of, of the crafting of of, of agave distillates uh, across the board. You know, not just tequila. Um, but that said, you're absolutely right. You know, you you have to pay people an adequate uh, wage and, and so forth. Uh, you know, the maintenance of the plants. Also, you know, you're winning. You know, from 10 to 12 years for a plant to mature and come to maturation. Um, because, you know, you regard the plant as, as something that needs to mature and, and to best garner, get the best benefit of, of the earth that it uh, steeps in. But in order to do that, we need people to watch over them, right? And so all these things, they all, they all add up. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. 
Do you we th- definitely have to keep that in mind. So, so with with Heritage Radio Network, there's a lot of our shows are about uh, cooking and farming. A lot of them are about they have to do with farming because where do we get our food from farms, right? So there's this whole thing, and I, you know, I don't know if it's like just a hipster Brooklyn thing or if it's going on, you know, outside of our, our bubble here. But there seem to be a lot of. Uh, you know, younger, hipper, like people who are taking the responsibility of actually moving out of the city or even in the city, farming and creating these ag- agricultural systems uh, to to maintain, you know, food. Um, do you feel like? Have you seen? Because I know, like around, especially around like the the Northeast, there's a lot of you know like cheese farms and oyster farms and and just in. Every kind of farm you can imagine, right? So I know a, a few handfuls of people, people I've worked with in the past, and, you know, in bars and restaurants, who have decided to like turn their kind of like not turn their back on the city, but like turn their back on that lifestyle and go out and move to these farms and start working on them. Uh, and they're, they feel very fulfilled with what they're doing, and they're doing a really great thing. I'm just wondering, is that like? Is that being reflected with with agave farming? Is is there anything like that? Because I know that uh, the problem, like I, I grew up on a farm, and you know I I'm in the city now, and that's what happens to a lot of uh, small towns and farms. It's like the kids grow up, and then they go to school and go to the city, and then they never come back, and then there's no one to work on the farm, and then the farm ends up dying, or you know gets subsidized by the government, or blah blah blah, you know any number of really terrible things, and. I know that there's been a thing in the recent past with with some of the agave farmers uh you know cuz it's a very family run business you know the the idea of like being uh, an agave farmer but it seems like there was this period where it, a lot of the kids weren't necessarily wanting to stick around and see the virtue of what it means to like farm agave. Is that kind of like change? I mean, like what's, what's going on? I know like there's the tequila interchange program and stuff like that, but I, I don't know. I was like, you're the expert. I, I, you've seen all this firsthand. Do you see people kind of getting back into farming agave? I, I think, you know, I think it's, it's definitely a prevalent, it, it's definitely a thing that's, uh, and you know, one of the things uh, that Tip does obviously is bring that to our awareness for the broader, you know, the broader consumer base. Um, and that is, in fact, it's something that uh, that the industry has to contend with. Uh, I think you, you put it, you made a very good analogy, right? Uh, anybody who works on, in any, on any farm, well, you know, people farm out of need, uh, as well as perhaps passion. I'm sure there's some of that in there as well. And, and then you have perhaps the second or third generation that, uh, Decides or you know benefits from that person having worked and and worked at their farm and made a living at it and uh, maybe perhaps decides to pursue another career, right? Mm-hmm. Your point, it, it happens, and, and so we do we do see that in, in tequila production absolutely. I think what we also are seeing, however, is you're seeing people come in to um, to pick up some of that slack. So perhaps it's not handed no longer being handed down from generation to generation of himalores, but rather other outlying. Um, you know, uh, uh, cities and states are actually we, we, there's actually people coming in and learning and learning the trade and, and taking up some of that some of that slack, if you will. Um, so although it's not being it's not being done perhaps family to family, it is it is being passed out down from you know it is definitely still being kept local in some respects, and it's definitely being kept uh, in Mexican hands. That's awesome. That's good to hear. It makes me, you know, it just makes me weird. Like, you know, I I think about my farm all the time, and now I'm, I'm like, I feel so shamed that I left, <laughs> but it's still there. I've still got a pond. It's full of frogs. Yeah, well, but I, the, the way I see that also is uh, your parents want, maybe wanted you to 
to, to, to fulfill and perhaps even even uh, follow your own path, right? There's always that that part of it where maybe perhaps your parents want you to also farm, and then there's there's that parent that perhaps says, you know what, it's fine. I I, I created this life so that you can go out and pursue perhaps other uh, other ventures, other you know your life goals, your dreams, what have you. And, and I feel that you have a mix of that even in even in the agave uh, growers community. You know, you have those parents who are okay with their parent with their kids moving on, and you have the parents who who ideally would prefer for their kid to to follow in their steps. You know. Um, the good thing is that it is being kept in Mexican hands, and I think that's important to note because ultimately, you know, it's a very handcrafted spirit. Um, even the most industrialized of tequila, there's still a handcrafted component to it, right? I mean, in that hands have to touch the, the, the cultivation of the plant, the reaping of the plant, etc. Um, so there's a huge, very human, human aspect to it, and uh, it's great that it's still being kept uh, uh, within the culture of Mexico, obviously, in Mexican hands. Yeah, and it's it's just such a cool style of farming too, you know. Where usually you're going season to season, it's like this is like you said before, you know, this plant takes you know around a decade to mature, and you've got to be. It's not something you can like really pass along. It's like you are you're basically the parent of this plant, you know. <laughs> you're the caretaker of it. Yeah, your job is to, exactly right. Your job is to take care of this plant, right? We talked about the margarita. One of the benefits of the margarita, it's, it's a beautiful cocktail in that it's three simple ingredients, right? You have your sweetener, you have your you have your spirit, your base spirit, and obviously you have your um, you have your your citrus, right? Your lime in this case. Mm-hmm. The agave plant is a very terroir driven, you know, plant, and the fact that you can get beautiful attributes like, you know, f- flowers and these great aromatics of floral notes and citrus and uh, and herbaceous, all these great herbal notes. I mean, the margarita allows for the tequila to shine in that respect, right? I Those think, three ingredients allow the margarita to absolutely shine. I think they, and so it's hyper important to have a agave that's cultivated in the right way so that you can take advantage of all those benefits. Exactly, exactly. You know, and to me, like, like things like rum and tequila, I don't know, whenever I taste them, it's, like, weird for me to, like, not, like, taste lime when I'm just tasting them straight because I'm so used to having, like, daiquiris and margaritas. But we're going to take a quick break. I want to get back. Let's talk about margaritas because I've got to tell you my margarita story, and I'm sure you've got one. <laughs> so we'll be back <laughs> in just great. a sec with Jamie. And today's break song is called Jump Rope by the Ginger Lees. This is the Speakeasy. Culinary Center is a proud sponsor of the HeritageRadioNetwork.org. The ICC, with locations in New York and California, provide cutting-edge education to future chefs, restaurateurs, and wine professionals. We're proud to claim Dan Barber, Bobby Flay, and David Chang among our honored alumni. This is Dorothy Can Hamilton from Chef Story. Check out our ICC website at InternationalCulinaryCenter.com. And we are back. We've been speaking with Jamie Salas on the phone. It's too bad you can't be here in the studio because we could be drinking some tequila together right now. Um, but that's cool. Next time, next time. 
Um, yeah, so we were talking about a lot about tequila and the way that it's farmed and the the heritage behind that. And uh, you know, the Sunday coming up is National Margarita Day, so we got to we got to swap some margarita stories, bro. Um, I have to tell you, you know, growing up on that farm and living out in the country in the middle of nowhere in Oklahoma in the Bible Belt, we didn't really have access to, you know, a lot of like knowledge about cocktails and and the way to mix things like you know if you were you know the the simple beauty of a margarita is that it is three ingredients you know you've got lime you've got some sort of uh triple sec or curacao and you know a good tequila i guess you could count salt as maybe the fourth ingredient um but you know some people like some people don't but uh either way you know when, when i was growing up you know the way people would make margaritas is they would have you know these awful mixers, you know, the, the store-bought bottled mixers. And I remember being at a party, uh, at several parties, <laughs> actually, uh, when I was probably 15 years old and I was driving and I was making margaritas at a buddy's house up the road on his farm. And uh, I was making margaritas and people were asking me, they're like, oh my God, Damon, like you make the best margaritas. Here I am, I'm like 15 or 16 or something like that. And they're like, how do you make them? These are the best margaritas we've ever had. And they're like, what's your secret? And I was like, well, you use lime juice, guys. <laughs> That's all you have to do. You use lime juice, real lime juice, not these mixers. And, like, I think that uh, it's it's interesting to see, like, that there's this National Margarita Day. Um, because I feel like, you know, where where I'm from and, and the, my history with it was th- this aha moment of, like, oh, my God, guys, seriously, let's just use fresh ingredients why is that such a big deal? That should be the way it's done. But, you know, back then, you know, this is the, like, early 90s, mid-90s. Uh, that wasn't really, that. it hadn't happened yet, unless you were, like, lucky enough to be hanging out the Rainbow Room in Delta Graf making you a drink. But, uh, I mean, what was, your, uh, what was your first experience with the margarita? Well, you know, it's funny you mention that, because I feel like, you know, obviously cocktail trends tend to be cyclical, right? If you really go back to, you know, way back, right? I mean, they used to use real lime juice, real lemon juice. Like, fresh ingredients were best, and that's what was employed, that's what was used. And I think, you and me, I think we kind of align in that our experience with the margarita was probably around the time when, you know, the movie Cocktail was out, and everybody was, it was more about the super adulterated cocktail, right? Blue and color, pink, what have you. And There's a movie called Cocktail? What have you. Yeah, none of it, (laughs) none of which were fresh, right? I think that's the part. So for me, you know, growing up, I think for me, you know, so I grew up in a very tequila uh, savvy as well as uh, appreciating family, <laughs> to say the least. Sure. I, I remember, you know, being a kid and smelling tequila in the air and agave and being around my uncles and, and you know, getting hugged by them and constantly, you know, having that, that wafting of that, what, what I now, what now takes me back when I recall uh, to my family days, um, so it was later, you know, later in life that I that I tried my first margarita. Believe it or not, I always had tequila neat or on the rocks. That's how I preferred it. Or in Mexico, growing up there, we usually have it uh, with mineral uh, soda. I'm sure you probably experienced that. Uh, Palomas are one of my favorite, which is oh, yeah. um, which is with grapefruit soda or grapefruit juice, and then uh, and with Coke. So we, you know, in Mexico, I like to say we actually bastardized some of these cocktails in a fortune. You know, in the margarita, although we don't know where exactly where it came from, whether it be Mexican or or the U.S., whoever takes credit for it. Um, I do know that it's a great cocktail. So when I when I encountered my first margarita, I remember thinking, "This is amazing," uh, because like you, I was fortunate enough to have one that actually had fresh uh, lime in it. Um, and I just and I'm I'm thankful that now it's become more of the norm 
rather than the, the exception in that, you know, more often than not, you can get a good, credible margarita out these days, whereas before in the 80s and 90s, it was pretty tough to do so. Yeah, it was. And, you know, it kind of, I feel like it either, like, turned, you know, you remember, like, in the, I remember, like, in the 90s when, when people would say they couldn't drink tequila or gin because, like, they had a bad experience with it. I, you know, a lot of times I'm like, dude, well, you just weren't drinking it right. You, you, you had it in the wrong way, you know, like, especially, you know, I, I both blame and, and praise Snoop Dogg for, uh, for you know the for the popularity gin. of gin and juice, but at the same time, there's a lot of like bad gin. Um, I mean, he talks about Seagram's gin, and he, and he also tanks, talks about Tanqueray in the same song. Which you know, I'm like, guy, okay, gotcha. That's cool, man. Uh, if if Hendrix were around at the time, he probably would talked about that. Um, but uh, but then also people like you know if. You know, we drink a lot of Fernet Branca nowadays. But if you if you're slamming it, you know, like out of uh, out of a, a girl's tits in like Cabo, you know, like 15 times a night, you're probably not going to like tequila anymore. You're still probably I probably will still like tits, but I don't know. You know, like I feel like there was a lot of uh, abuse of. Uh, I I agree. You know? I agree, and I think I think in part it's not only the mode of employment, right? How you consume it. Um, uh, but what, not only what you're consuming, but how you consume it, ultimately, right? I mean, think about historically how tequila has been consumed, typically in shot form. Sure. You know, um, somebody will have 20 beers in one night, drink one shot of tequila, obviously the tequila gets blamed for how horrible right. they feel the next day. The fact of the matter is, more of, you know, how you engage with tequila, whether it be in the shot form, whatever, how many times a night you do it is ultimately going to factor in. And, of course, the quality of the spirit will factor in how you feel the next day. Good, great quality tequila, 100% blue agave, so you get the best expression of the agave coming forward. And, and hopefully you, you're someone that truly loves tequila, that you want that herbaceous, that beautiful, those beautiful terroir-driven notes, which I think is a real benefit to tequila. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, it's, you know, it evokes place and time. And, and if when, you, when you're drinking that, you know, moderation is still key, regardless of how good those spirit is. You want to ensure that you don't drink 20 drinks in one night because, well, you, you, you'll probably feel the effects of it the next day, right? So I think... You're absolutely right. I think it's 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 how people consume it, and not only that, but the quality of what they were consuming. Uh, nowadays, people have developed an appreciation for 100 percent agave tequilas in particular, and, and wanting to taste where they're made, um, how they're made, um, and 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 that transcending across in, in the glass. You know, whether it's in the margarita or neat, people appreciate now um, the spirit a little bit better. So they're giving it that that sort of respect and allowing it to. Uh, Sit in the glass long enough to appreciate it, right? It's no longer just yeah. just shooting it for the effects of it all, but really, uh, really enjoying what you're drinking. Yeah, I mean, like you were talking about, like having it neat. Like my, like the way I drink Milagro, I treat, I like the the Reposado Milagro, and I, I like to you know put like one ice cube. I don't use lime or anything like that. But when I, I don't know, like some people give me a little bit of flack about like you know. Richard Patterson flung a, a glass of whiskey across the studio here because <laughs> there was ice in it. But, um, but what's your what's your take on that? Are you cool with ice in a, in a agave based in in tequila? Especially I am okay here? with ice if that's what you like. I, my only request would be that the more solid the ice, right? The more solid the ice, yeah, it's lower, always like it, it, the slower it takes to to, uh, to melt. The, the less it will dilute your 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 fine spirit. So as long as you got a good quality of piece of ice in there, I say absolutely go for it. Um, I, I mean, what I like to do is I like to sometimes bring out the notes that are already inherent in that particular tequila. You mentioned Malago Reposado; it's one of my favorites as well. I literally um, 
grab just a little bit of uh, orange peel. And I like to express the oils over that glass, over the rock, and just allow those aromatics to sort of bring you into what you're about to taste. Because I feel Milagro in particular, Repo, has a lot of uh, citrus, but some of the citrus note I, I get from it. Um, after Once you get past that beautiful cryptogabi, you get a nice hint of what, what, is, what, what tastes or, or smells like orange blossom and, 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 um, and citrus and, and the orange peel. Um, and so I like to heighten that just a little bit. Yeah, I'd love that. I love that. Just a simple twist, a little citrus zest on it. It's it's a great way of highlighting. I have to tell you, um, when when I first opened uh, Prime Meats back in 2009, did the bar there, um, on the very first cocktail menu there, there was a cocktail called a Loganberry Scramble. So it was a bramble done with uh, the Loganberry liqueur from Clear Creek uh, from the Pacific Northwest. And very simply, like fresh, fresh, uh, fresh lemon, a little bit of agave, Loganberry liqueur and a healthy pour of Milagro Reposado, and and it was over crushed ice, you know, done like bramble style, and that sounds amazing. I, it, it was so <laughs> simple and so good that I had to, I had to take it off the menu because no one would drink anything else on the menu. It was like the, like people wow. would like they would see it and they would order that over and over and over again. So of course I, I put another Milagro Reposado cocktail on which also sold very well and i was like all right guys all right this is great like let's let's try some like let me make another tequila cocktail for you it was crazy dude um but i think that's i think that's probably more of a testament to the tequila itself and not my mixology skills but it was it was it was insane um so i've always loved having it around and uh and yeah, tell me. Wait, okay. So going back to the margarita, like, what's what happens on National Margarita Day this Sunday on the on the it's the twenty second, right? Sunday. Yeah, it's Sunday. Yeah, you think uh, you know it's 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 quickly uh, picking up momentum. I will say that. Um, but you know, just it's it's people are uh, are now making light of the holiday and they're stepping out to to drink in uh, you know some accounts or restaurants. Um, bars around the city in different parts of the country are stepping up now and, and actually engaging in the holiday. So, you know, you can, you'll find bars that'll have margaritas on special. Um, you have great cocktail bars that'll, that'll also feature uh, the margarita and different variations, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, it's, it's slowly picking up steam. Um, you know, we used to say the same thing. You know, I remember the first time uh, Margarita Day uh, happened, we were like, so, and this is my duty, folks. In the tequila industry, we all look at each other literally, like figuratively and literally. We had some friends around, and we're like, "And what? So what happens now? You know, great, <laughs> this is phenomenal. We have a holiday, but what happens now? Uh, well, since then, I mean, a lot of people have sort of picked up on it. A lot of folks, you know, I, I, I have friends who are aware of the holiday, uh, and now, you know, now and now restaurants are, are meeting us halfway. So now you have the opportunity where um, you hear about Margarita Day, you can you can step out to some of these great establishments and. And enjoy a margarita, and, and and preferably one that's handcrafted and and done uh, does the tequila um, at the base justice, right? By by being all natural ingredient, ingredient wise and fresh as possible. Yeah, it's such you know, it's it's really cool too. It's such a versatile spirit. You know, we we're talking about Phil Ward before, and he was like, I was talking to him one time about tequila and what what really what was the, one of the biggest appeals to him, and he was like, dude, you know with the different age categories, you can do so many different things. You can basically do anything that any other spirit can do. 
You know, like you can, right. you can do like, like a Tommy's margarita style, like kind of gimlet daiquiri kind of thing with a Blanco with the reposado. You can kind of get more into like, you know, anything you could really do with like a bourbon or Irish whiskey kind of on the lighter whiskey side. But then you go to Añejo or like a, a super Añejo and then you can start getting really, really into like scotchy, heavier drinks. Like you can kind of interplay with classics and with that with the tequila and you guys have we haven't even really talked about like your higher end stuff like like the unico you guys have some really really baller stuff and it's all very delicious i mean yeah but i mean i think you touched on it i think that's 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 it in the nutshell is that you have such a wide breadth of you know i dare you to name any other spirit that you can taste from the minute the second distillation hits and it comes out of that still uh, and then again, when the, the tequila has been aged for, you know, you know, you know, well, nowadays we're getting, we're getting, we're getting, uh, long, longer aging periods, but the average back in the day was maybe, you know, two to three years, three to five mm-hmm. at most. And then now you have tequilas that are as old as seven years and the Solera of that processes that are being, uh, that are being, um, introduced, which, you know, you'll have tequilas that claim 21 years, what have you. So, you know, there's such a wide breadth of, of, of just of a goddess spirit and and what you can do with that, right? Is it fresh? Is it herbaceous? Is it green? Uh, floral? To you know, have once you age it, is it super nutty? And if so, what do you what can you build around that? Whether it be an old fashioned, whether it be in Manhattan, what have you? Um, so there's it's, you know, very few spirits have that versatility. Um, and all the while, you know, when done right, you you, you can allow the agave to really shine through. Cause that's that's like my one. Uh, testament to uh, to what I feel has to be uh, the definition at the core of every tequila bottle. I don't care who makes it, um, what the process is. You have to ensure that that agave note remains intact, right? Otherwise, you're drinking agave vodka. Uh, and the right. benefit here is that we transcend and we we take that beautiful vegetal note um, and we bring it to the masses, right? And people can can truly uh, appreciate what the agave plant lends us that no other. Uh, no other raw material in the world does for any other spirit. Yeah. It's very unique in that regard. And and so, yeah, so the versatility behind it makes it even better. Um, you can do such great things with it. It's really exciting to see what's happened with tequila over the past 10 years, 15 years. Um, and it's a beautiful process. It's a beautiful spirit. And it's it's been awesome having you on the show today. I, you know, to find out more about the uh, Milagro Tequilas. It's MilagroTequila.com, correct? That's right. And where are you going to be this Sunday for uh, National uh, uh, Margarita Day? Or how many bars I'm do you not, think you're going to be at? You know, I, I was thinking about it. I may just, uh, they have some great Mar- Milagro Margaritas on uh, on the menu now at uh, La Esquina down in Tahoe. Uh, sure. So I might just be there. Uh, you know, I might just I might just be my ground zone and start bopping around from there. Yeah, well, you might run into me and Jack because <laughs> he's like looking at, through me at the window, uh, looking at the win- looking at me through the window, and I think he's I think he's time uh, time for a tequila shot for uh, for for Jack. He's giving me a looking thumbs up. He's giving me a thumbs up, but it's kind of a shaky thumbs up because of what we we're just talking about with uh, doing tequila shots and abusing the beauty of it. But Jamie, <laughs> it's been it's been really awesome having you on the show today. Uh, maybe we'll run into you this Sunday on National Margarita Day. Check out Milagro at milagrotequila.com and if you see Jamie, have a margarita with him. David, thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much. See you soon. Take care. Bye-bye. That's it for the Speakeasy this week. Check in to Heritage Radio Network for many, many other programs like this. Cheers.
Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.